0: Hi there. Welcome to another episode of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. My name is Bert Scholl. I'm a two-time cancer survivor, a cancer survivorship guide and mentor, and the creator and host of But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. Brought to you in part by the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Lakes, located right here in Ithaca, New York. Learn more about the Cancer Resource Center at crcfl.net, because no one should face cancer alone. To learn more about this show and my services, please go to Bertscholl.com. That's B-E-R-T-S-C-H-O-L-L.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at But Seriously, The Cancer Podcast, and on Twitter at Seriously, TCP. And check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash But Seriously, The Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for all you do. Hey, Carol, how are you? Good, Bert. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, great to have you here. Thank you thank so much.
1: Thank you so much. This is incredible what you're doing. Very, very pleased to be here.
0: Oh, good. You're welcome. So, as always, will you tell everyone what you were diagnosed with and how old you were?
1: Okay. So that's um, that's that's just a little bit of a story. <laughs> so, ten years ago, at 41, I was diagnosed with precancer and uh, stage zero, and I didn't even know there was a stage zero, and it was ductal carcinoma in situ, which is you know confined to the ducts of your breast, and it hasn't become invasive cancer yet, but it can. So there's some controversy over whether people need to get treated for that or not, or whether they just need to wait around and see. I was not in the camp of wait around and see. Um, It was a very small tumor, like less than two centimeters, but there were calcifications throughout the entire left breast that were DCIS. And so I was like, nope, just get rid of it. I I immediately wanted a mastectomy because I was going that route. It it allowed me to just escape all the what ifs. So I ended up doing a second mastectomy on the other side just to make things even from a plastic surgeon's standpoint and to just never take the chance of it developing into cancer mm-hmm. flash forward eight years and I started having a breakdown in the chest wall of my reconstruction which happens so I decided to look into having something done but I kept feeling what I was repeatedly told was scar tissue in my armpit and I said well, so can we work some of that out you know if we're going to do a surgery but so that, this was two years ago e- little yeah nah, about yeah, was, yeah. okay and um, yeah, 19, mm-hmm. it'll be October 21, gee whiz, two years. Okay, so that scar tissue quote turned out to be invasive ductal carcinoma from breast tissue they left behind. Mm. And only about two to six percent of women even have breast tissue in their axilla, meaning their armpit, and of those two to six percent, maybe point one of them developed cancer in that area. So, you know, don't take me to Vegas, but, and it was again, a small tumor. It was not in my lymph nodes. It was, um, you know, surgery made me for all intents and purposes, cancer-free, but the pathology came back high risk. So that's when they wanted me to have all the bells and whistles of cancer treatment. And that's when I freaked out a little bit. So, yeah. So two years ago. So then I went through. You know.
0: So let me. Let me. Yeah. So you said. That's when they put all the bells and whistles because what came back is higher risk.
1: The pathology of the tumor that they removed. The The invasive, original one. The, so the one that came back in my armpit. The, the one. Three des- years ago in the armpit. Okay. Mm-hmm, the scar mm-hmm. tissue. Yes. The it, which it, it technically wasn't scar tissue. It was it was a tumor. Right. That I was feeling, and it was. It was surrounded by DCIS, so there was a considerable amount of breast tissue that had been left in my axilla. That just that DCIS did, in fact, turn. It just took about eight years.
0: What's your axilla? So,
1: axilla is your armpit, okay. your underarm area.
0: Gotcha. So, so, like,
1: yeah, but they like they removed some lymph nodes at that point to test them because last time I got away with only having a sentinel node removed, so I didn't really have any issues. So they removed ten of my lymph nodes this time. There was no lymph invasion. Um, I was, re- I was really what they, in the cancer world, what they call lucky, you know. Um, but that's what made it so hard for me to wrap my brain around getting chemo and radiation and, you know, taking the hormone blocker that they prescribed because my cancer did feed on my hormones. It was, it was estrogen positive. Um, so it, I, I got about. Four opinions, one of them which was out of state. I mean, I left no stone unturned trying to get somebody in the medical world to tell me that I didn't need chemo or radiation. I just didn't want it. I just... I'd always thought of it as toxic, mm-hmm. that, that it doesn't dispute between the healthy and the cancer cells. It just kills it all and hopes the host survives <laughs> in the meantime. Or it doesn't, I don't know. It's just... I'm just... I have a lot of opinions about Western medicine. I, I'm not in the camp of completely ignore Western medicine by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, I think one of one of the things that I'm guilty of is following my medical advice to my own detriment, sometimes. So I I just feel like there there's a better way than what we're doing, sometimes. That that I I've, I've read a lot of stuff where. When you combine a lot of different therapies, you can use less of the toxic therapies. That, to me, just makes good sense.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I I, uh, I did an alternative treatment for the first 10 months when I was first diagnosed, because I was told I was going to have to have a colostomy, mm-hmm. which I have now. Right. I was like, no way. Like, and did a lot of research and went with a detox therapy to detoxify my body. So my body could kill the cancer, but I was on a modified therapy because I had rectal cancer, which is an exposed tumor because it's, you know, the the digestive tract is an external organ because it it runs through, right? Because from, from the mouth to the anus, it actually, it's, it's, it's outside of the cavity of the body. And so each time I'm, Eating thing and passing anything, it's irritating the tumor. And so there was just too much. And the short of it is, I did ten months of it, and then I didn't get the results that I wanted, and it was the pain was increasing. So I went and did traditional Western medicine. I came and on radiation and surgery, and then six months of post, chemo, you know, surgery, chemo. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I want to speak clear. So what I'm hearing you say, I want to make sure I'm correct. Ten years ago, you're 41 years old. You're diagnosed with stage zero and you had a double mastectomy. Yeah. And so cuz you were just like nope, not doing this. Yeah.
1: My kids were 8 and 11. I just I was in no high-risk categories that we knew about. Mm-hmm. I was a relatively healthy person. I wasn't, you know, over the top. Um but, you know, I did I have I have since in in my in my quest for answers found some found some pretty convincing risks that I I was in so oh, right. one, you know, one of them being hormone replacement therapy that I did for a hysterectomy that I had when I was 36 for severe endometriosis.
0: What's that? Again,
1: take taking doctor's advice. So endometriosis is where you, um, so the lining of your uterus that would normally slough off during a menstrual cycle Um, Mm -hmm. it, it goes other places in your body. It can attach to other organs, but, um, your ovaries are kind of the cause of it, the root cause of it. And it just, it's, it's a lot of pain. It's a lot of, it it can cause infertility. I, I did have a little bit of a, uh, a hard time getting pregnant, not, not drastically, but you know, after we started actively trying to get pregnant, there should have been no reason in the world and it would take, you know, a few months for me. To get pregnant. Now, people who have infertility issues probably want to smack me, but I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> y- you would think that if, if you're not having any, if you're not using any contraception at all, why wouldn't two healthy people just get knocked up right away? And right. for me, it wasn't quite like that. Um, so I, uh, but the pain part was, the, was the big one for me. And it, it woke me up one day. I, I remember I, I just used to lay around a lot cause I was in a lot of pain and um, my youngest daughter, when she was three, she came to my bedroom and she said, mommy, will you play with me or do you need to lie down again? And I thought, holy cow, this is this kid's life. This kid watches her mom lay around all day in pain. Um, so I I started trying to get some medical answers and, you know, eventually long, you know, long story short is, is it came around to the doctor, after trying multiple things, putting a complete hysterectomy on the table for somebody who was 36, which he, nor- which he was really fighting to do because I was so young. And um, so that I wouldn't go into menopause, he prescribed uh, hormone replacement, which was estrogen, or estradiol, to be exact. And, uh, and before that, in my 20s, I was on birth control pill for about five years. For probably like 16 to 26 until my husband and I decided to have babies. So the one high-risk category that that became blaringly clear was the extra hormones I had added to my body for 15 years. So five years of hormone replacement, 10 years of birth control pills way mm-hmm. before that. And um, turns out that the cancer I got, estrogen positive, that just to me was a no-brainer. Doctors still don't want to hang their hat on that because that would mean they would have to stop prescribing those drugs to people. So they they say that they, the very first oncologist I had was very young, very idealistic. He, he still had all the hope in the world that he was going to change the world. And I loved him. And he said he had just given a talk to all these doctors about the high incidence of breast cancer being related to hormone replacement therapy. I saw that same oncologist eight plus years later singing a completely different, different tune. He said mm. that, um, and he did not stay my oncologist, by the way, but he said that, well, now we don't really know if it, it, it actually causes it as much as it, it caters to a condition that already existed. Like you were already predisposed to getting cancer, and this might have just helped it, exacerbated it, something like that. it was some very gray, careful area of. We're gonna still keep prescribing these drugs to people.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, uh, something I've noticed in the medical world is. There seems to be a very heavy. What do I want to call it? They seem to lean heavily toward what they're doing, not being the source of the problem. For sure. And and there's also doctors. You know, they're doing great science, and they're getting down to the bottom of it, and they're figuring it out. You know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying it's blindly done. Uh, I'm not saying that it's done without thought. You know, it's a Thank goodness for my doctors, you know. But Absolutely. I do question uh, anytime something can be politicized and there's big money involved, it's going to be affected. Uh, you know, it, it, it's going to be, it, it's not going to operate as cleanly as it could. And if you, that, you know, that doesn't mean that I don't participate in it. it just means that i have a uh, skepticism because humans are involved
1: <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure and it's just it's 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 a little disheartening that that the sway of the almighty dollar is so prevalent you know um i kind of I kind of talk about a little bit in... How do I say this? I don't know. I'm, I'm not... I'm, I'm trying to... I'm trying to be politically correct, I guess. I, and it's not even about being politically correct. It's just... It's just about not being an asshole. All right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm not trying to shame anyone or make anyone feel bad. I I, I really... I just want to say I want to give this blanket statement that I don't believe that there is one cookie cutter approach to to cancer struggles for for all of us. You know, I, I think that the medical world does a really good job of trying to make it that, and that's probably one of the things I have the biggest problem with. Mm. Is you know, like like just like we've all like like I follow a lot of people who um, have been through cancer journeys, and you know, I've read a lot of books. I wrote a book you know, there, there's just not one way. Some of us are, you know, we're going to fight. We're a fighter. We're a survivor. And other people are like, no, no, no. I don't like that verbiage. I'm, I'm a thriver. I'm at peace with all of this. I'm grateful. And I mean, I fall somewhere in between, honestly. I'm not, you know, I'm not a hundred percent one way or the other. I, I, would never wish a cancer diagnosis on anybody but I can tell you that the perspective from this side is pretty cool and I I'm grateful to have that perspective going forward I feel like we we go through a lot of our lives wasting our words wasting our moments just just really I'm one of them I you know I I I, I think I wasted a lot of my life worrying, stressing, being pissed off, um, wanting things just right. I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist, you know, um, I just, and now it just, it just shifts the perspective a lot. So,
0: so what's the statement you didn't want to make? <laughs> Did you say it already? I didn't. Because I didn't hear anything that okay. Because I didn't hear anything. I mean, so you don't have to say it, but let me respond with this and say, there is so much we do not know about the human body and how it works. We the way any scientist or doctor that I've heard speak about it, honestly, and they say, you know, we're barely observing the tip of the iceberg. There are so many things we do not understand, and. My personal experience has shown me that extremely confident doctors are very dangerous. My primary physician, I went in for uh, chest pain every time I was running. And they said, get in here now. We need to give you a stress test to make sure you don't have heart problems. I went in, passed the test with flying colors. My chest still hurt. My doc says, hmm, maybe you, uh, Cracked your uh, sternum at some point, and that's just causing it to be painful. I thought to myself, Are you a moron? It's <laughs> <laughs> the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Like, why would it not be uncomfortable all the time? But I considered myself to be healthy. My doc's an idiot. If anything serious happens, I'm sure he'll you know, help me with that. Well, fast forward a few years, 2007, and I go in and see him and I tell him I, you know, I'm passing blood. Gives me a digital exam. Tells me I have hemorrhoids. Six weeks, two, you know, a month, a couple months later, I go back. I'm like, Doc, I'm t- passing more blood than before Because He goes, okay, well, gives me another digital. Yep, still hemorrhoids. Continue with the fiber I recommended you put in your diet. You know, Metamucil or whatever. Go back a third time. It's like, yep, just keep it up. Go back a fourth time. It's been six months. And I say, Doc, I'm like old faithful, I pass gas and I pass blood. Something's not right. He said, Well, just stay on the fiber, gives me another digital. Yep, just stay on the fiber. The next day, I call the doctor's office and say, I want him to refer me to a specialist. He's not available that day. I said, Well, I'll see anybody. They had me see a PA. He refers me to a specialist. A couple of days later, the guy gives me a digital, says, gives me a sigmoidoscopy and a digital. As soon as he gives me the digital, he says, Do you have cancer in your family? Puts the sigmoid scope in, can't see a thing because there's so much blood. And I get diagnosed with stage two rectal cancer. Like
1: I have chills right now. I have chills right now. This
0: is. So my point is an overly confident doctor is why I didn't get diagnosed with cancer six months earlier.
1: Yeah.
0: And. I've also had fantastic doctors. My current oncologist down at Memorial Sloan Kettering—it's—they're uh, a group that I like, and uh, you know I'm learning now more that there's like they're that they're more on the conservative side of cancer treatment, and like uh, the place up that. And, and then there's other um, uh, cancer hospitals like that are far more uh, progressive in their thinking, and it's really interesting to observe. But what I can say is my doctor Nancy Kemeny. She did not miss a thing. I had to, or may I say, I asked questions. I questioned my oncologist uh, when he told me I wasn't going to need six months of follow-up chemo. My wife mm-hmm. and I asked him these questions. He goes, oh, wait, no, you're, no, you are going to need chemo. You're right. <coughs> he was ready to tell me I didn't need chemotherapy. Oh, my gosh. And then after my treatment was over, my oncologist said, okay, so you're cancer-free. Congratulations, Uh now we'll just uh, do blood work every few months. And I said, well, I had stage 2, T4, so it's it was almost stage 3. Should I get... No, I said, I had stage 2, so shouldn't I get CT scans? Or no, 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 what did I say? I said, I had no markers in my blood the first time I was diagnosed, so wouldn't it be a wise idea to give me CT scans? He goes, yes, it would. And I said, I, I said yeah, okay, then I had stage 2, T4, which is almost it was like kissing the lymph nodes, so I mean, would a PET scan be better? Well, I think, yeah, that would be a good idea. In 60 seconds, I went from blood work to PET scans. So now, fast forward, I'm with Dr. Kemeny. Any question I ask, they have a completely, uh, what would I say? Uh, th- th- their answers, you know, just like, there's nothing to question. It's so solid. They've covered all their bases. That's They're paying basket. attention to everything. When that's I was having... Uh, is, urinary issues, you know, she said, I want you to see a, uh, a what do you call it, a urologist. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of procrastinated and didn't bother making the appointment. A month later, her office calls and says, hi, this is, uh, you know, Gabby from Dr. Kemeny's office. Uh, she asked me to call and see if uh, you had that appointment with your uh, urologist yet. I'm like, uh, I'm still in the process of scheduling it.
1: <laughs> I love that though. Right? I love yeah. There are not enough doctors like that. Let me tell you, I just I mean I had an experience just this week with my oncologist that I have follow-ups with, right? And and I know that I am by far not the sickest person that they see, right? I mean, I'm I'm in I'm in the let's just check her out and, you know, mark it good and throw her back in the file. But I have questions. I have some I have some things. I have lymphedema. I have some other issues from the treatments that I received that I do still need some help with that I just really am not getting answers on. Like I, to give them the benefit of the doubt, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's a pass the buck scenario as much as it's that they just don't have the information for me. I I wanna believe that, I, I wanna believe that. But it got to the point where I actually had to lose my cool to the oncologist for her to stop what she was doing and say, How can I help you? To which my response was, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm telling you what my experiences are, what my challenges are, the questions that I have. I'm here asking you, what do I do? Where do I go? And so even though she didn't have the answers for me, she must have shot off five to ten emails while we were there to people asking questions, other doctors, referrals, just things trying to get me the answers that I needed. Okay, that's something. That's, thank you, that's something, just help me. Like, I already have this kind of, albeit small, I have this little voice in my head that, like survivor's guilt, if you will. You know, it happened the first time around because I didn't have to have chemo, I didn't have to have radiation, And I didn't have to get sick and lose my hair and all of that. And, and I, when I was speaking at my church once, I realized that I didn't feel like I deserved to call myself a survivor because Mm. I didn't have to go through all of that and get really sick. And then, you know, flash forward to eight years later, I'm like, did I manifest that somehow? Because now I get to do all of that. (laughs) And like, you know, you stupid little, little girl, shut your mouth, you know? So, I, uh, I I realize that in the grand scheme of things, I'm still very lucky in my cancer experience. Um, but I have questions and I want answers, just like everybody else. And with the grace of God and a little bit of tenacity, maybe I won't ever be there again. Mm-hmm. You know. So. No,
0: I have to well. wonder. Oh, you had, go ahead.
1: No, I just. My 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 whole experience the second time
0: around. Actually, hold on one second, then let me ask you a question. Yeah. So, yeah. what thought comes to mind when you wonder if you manifested it? Is for myself well, when I ask myself those when I have those passing thoughts through my mind, mm-hmm. when I, and when I become conscious of them and and I'm aware that I'm that they're going through my mind, I will ask myself, Did I have the ability to make it? go away and I didn't so like I have the ability to manifest it but I don't have the ability to make it go away and I just kind of tell myself like yeah you know like I mean the second time I was diagnosed my wife had ended our marriage and two weeks later I got fired from my no two months later I was fired from my job a few months after that I moved out of the house with her and the kids Uh, a few weeks after that she moved her boyfriend in and then Couple months after that, making it ten months since she told me she was leaving me, I got diagnosed with cancer a second time. Now, we are close and we are friends. I I hang out with her and her husband all the time now. It's like it's we've healed. It it took a lot of work and we did the work. But I want to say I was so angry with her and I was drinking scotch and just being Mm -hmm. angry. And I wonder, did I, you know, fuel the cancer that had it come back? And I'm like. I don't know. Well, thinking I may have isn't really going to, and here's the thing. If I believe that I did and that thinking empowers me and has me therefore make healthy choices going forward, then fantastic. But if that thinking has me shame myself and feel guilty and beat myself up, it doesn't provide anything except suffering.
1: Hallelujah. Absolutely. That's where I'm at. (laughs) 100%. So, so my thing is, um, so so <laughs> this is this is a, a two or three parter here. But let me just start with when only five to ten percent of all cancers are proven to be genetic or hereditary, um, you know, it 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 kind of means that there's there's a there's a bigger probability of a controlled variable.
0: Is that all it is? Is five to ten percent?
1: Only five to ten percent, but the medical world, the Western medical world, will have you believe that it is not. They are always talking genetics. They are always talking hereditary. I I had, just two years ago, I had a doctor tell me, because instead of my 50th, instead of the vacation we planned for my 50th birthday, I got chemo instead, right? And she said, why'd you cancel the vacation? Like, you can recover on a beach just as easy as you can recover at home in your bed. And you can start chemo when you get back. And I said, I just didn't know how the surgery would go. I didn't know what kind of condition I would be. in. she goes, oh, girl, if anyone needs a shot of tequila, it's you. And who is this? This was a a general surgeon. A general surgeon. A a general surgeon. Uh, She was a second opinion general surgeon. So my point is, is that doctors will not... make the correlation between cancer and our environment, whether that be diet or lifestyle or, you know, any of those factors. And and they're just to, to throw them a bone and to not be a hater. They don't get taught that in medical school. There's like, I've heard that there's just a minute amount of teaching that goes into like nutrition and, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So, so what they what they are taught to do is diagnose and prescribe medication. You know, or if they're a surgeon, you know, perform surgeries, whatever. But that's that's the the biggest thing that they do. Okay, so I mean, we know, we know that cancer feeds on sugar. That right. is just yeah. that's not a that's that's not a secret. That's and so this general surgeon just two years, two years ago was telling me if anyone needs a shot of tequila, it's you, instead of like, you know, hey girl. Let's put the sugar down. Let's change some stuff around. What's your diet like? There's none of that. So, so that's that's one part. The second part is is um, I, I have been a high stress, worrier my entire life. Like I joke that I may have been born pissed off. And it, it's just, it's just one <laughs> I may of those have been things.
0: Born pissed
1: off. I kind of. I kind—I mean, okay, so some people believe that that we come out how we come out. Like, our personalities are already intact, and, you know, like, I've had friends tell me, like, you know, you can have two girls, or you can have two boys, and they will come out completely different, personalities intact. You know, yes, there's a nature versus nurture. You can maybe change a few things here and there, or, or manifest a few things, or foster a few things, but they just are who they are. Okay, if you say so. Um, I can get behind that, because I... I I was chewing my nails off when I was in preschool. That is no lie. Hmm. I mean, you know, I've got some baggage. It's all good. We all have baggage. So I could talk about that for a minute. But my point is, is that I I was an intense, stressed out little being from the go. I believe. So, I mean, flash forward 50 years later. I mean, I feel like I probably was a little bit of a walking time bomb. I want to be very careful, though, and not say that we give ourselves cancer. Because, right, because I, stress, I'm not trying to shame and blame
0: anybody. Really stress not. can cause health issues. Absolutely. Not eating well can cause health issues. Not regu- exercising regularly can cause health issues. Why? Absolutely. Because reducing your stress, exercising, and eating well are great for your body and it's not something that's i've ever it's not something that i've ever heard an oncologist recommend uh ever and you know there's it it, it, it's so important i uh gosh i don't want to start talking about otherworldly issues we'll just take this conversation way too far (laughs) so i'll just edit this part out um like you know for instance like when I was done with chemo and radiation, both times with my doctors, I said, you know, what can I do to make my immune system stronger? I get colds all the time now. I get sick so easily. They were like, well, I can refer you to a nutritionist. I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, you are putting poison in my body to save my life, but then you have no treatment for the treatment. And I have a friend who is a... Uh, Allie, what kind of nurse practitioner are you? She's a functional medicine practitioner. Functional medicine is looking at what you put into your body as far as functional medicine looks at what you put in your body and how it affects your health. They look at, functional medicine looks at the source of the illness. And this is like, this is cutting edge medicine. I'm like, uh thank you for starting to catch up with the rest of us are you kidding me like what we put in our body like uh, or may i say i'm i'm as interested in the cure and the treatment as i am at getting at the source
1: Absolutely, I'm not in the I'm not in the camp of cover up the symptom. I'm in the camp of tell me why the symptom exists and how can I make it stop.
0: Right, cancer is a symptom, right? And so it mm-hmm. seems that cancer is a mm-hmm. symptom of an issue. For instance, if you smoke cigarettes, a symptom of the issues that it gives you is cancer.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. You know, eating refined foods. And everything that's unhealthy makes your body struggle. Does that give you cancer? I have no idea. I'm not a doctor. It, I'm not a scientist.
1: I mean, I think it could. I think it could set the table. It could. It could create a, an environment where cancer could exist or and or thrive. You could know, create it's an environment. not to say that absolutely. It's not to say that that stressing alone gives you cancer, or not working out gives you cancer, or you know, whatever, eating bad or whatever it is. But all of those things together can absolutely play a part to create an environment that might cater to something like cancer right. and why or we're, yeah. any kind of other illness. And, got, you know, and why we're
0: and saying much. this, Carol, is because you and I are in agreement that cancer didn't just come out of nowhere. And yes, you were correct. It's a cancer.gov says that about 5 to 10% of all cancers are genetic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's genetic mutations at play. And so you and I, I think we can agree, I, can, blah, blah, blah. I think we can agree that we're not saying that doing X, Y, and Z or not doing X, Y, and Z is going to give a person cancer. What we're saying is we want to understand what led to the cancer. What's going on in the body that's cancer is that being created? Um, I've actually, heard that cancer is actually has a job in the body because lots of people get cancer and the body makes it go away all the time. But for some of us, it doesn't go away and it just keeps right on growing. So maybe it is something that has a role in the body to make us healthier, but for some of us, it doesn't stop. Great. Let's yes. find out why. And Something
1: you, that we can do or not do.
0: And why do you and I talk about food, and all kinds of self-care, exercise, you know, and and, and emotional well-being, because they're the only things that we have any control over.
1: (laughs) So there was one, there was one opinion, it's true, absolutely, it's absolutely true, there was, there was one opinion that I sought, and it was out of state, simply because they didn't have one of these facilities in my state, and I was, believe me, when I say I left no stone unturned, trying to get somebody to tell me I didn't need chemo and radiation, but again i wasn't prepared to completely ignore m- medical advice right so i went to this place out of state and they they had your your your, your consultation with them was a was an oncologist a radiologist a nutritionist a naturopathic doctor and uh a, a clergyman for lack of a better did word would you go to so cancer
0: treatment centers of america
1: Yes. I didn't know if I was allowed to say their name, but Why? yes. Why? What do you mean? Sorry. I didn't know. I just I mean, I, I wrote a book and I left everybody's names out of it. So Oh,
0: I went to <laughs> Cancer Treatment Centers of America for a second opinion or for a third opinion, in fact. And mine you know, was a third. <laughs> right. So my local oncologist said, Don't eat any fresh fruit or vegetables. And Cancer Treatment Centers of America is like, here, here is here is the cafeteria and you may eat for free. And we will make you fresh fruit smoothies. And there's tons of fresh vegetables because you want to get as much fresh food and vegetables, fresh fruit and vegetables in your body as you possibly can. And then the other yes. side of the table, they say, well, there could be uh, fungus and mold growing on it. That's not healthy. And it's like, OK, we'll wash the fruit and wash the vegetables like, don't you know, it, it, it's I don't know. That's
1: asinine to but me. That, that, that actually makes me mad.
0: It's six <laughs> to one half dozen to another. Lots of people say don't, you know. Don't eat. But
1: there are many conflicting things like that out there. That's the hard part. Right.
0: And you can make science almost say anything, with, you know. With your, it's, you know, it's it's really hard to know what is. Uh, well, maybe world, m- maybe in in the grand scheme of things, in, in in all of the world, you know, there's science arguing. You know, it's become a, mm-hmm. it's become a political thing. Everything's politicized. And I don't talk about politics and social change on this podcast because half of half, well, half of us are going <laughs> to disagree with each other right out of the gates. Sure. So sure. like what that, that yeah. doesn't and this 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 podcast is just so we can support one another. So that's specifically why, you know, no religions, yeah. no religion in politics at this party. <laughs> yeah. But we yeah. politi- medicine has become politicized. Science has become politicized, right? So you're just like, absolutely okay.
1: True. But I loved what Cancer Treatment Centers was doing. I mean, I didn't opt to go with them because I just wanted to be close to home and if I was getting the traditional me too. standard of care I could do that at home just as well as I could do that out of state, but what I dug about them is that nobody was telling me to have a shot of tequila they were they were going through my my Amazon cart with me and helping me load it up with whole food vitamins with clean protein powders that would keep meat on my bones when I'm going through chemo and just all of these kind- i mean they were incredible right i mean it's that's that's what I'm talking about like the that kind of care can exist. They've proven that. So why can't more people get on board? That's the stuff that breaks my heart. You know, like, um, my stepfather just this week was diagnosed with um, lung cancer. Oh,
0: well, I'm sorry. And to hear.
1: thank you. He he is 82 years old. He has lived a fantastic life, but we would certainly like to keep him around a little longer. Yeah. He... um he had a spot that they were watching two years ago that they weren't concerned about, and now there's all this lymph involvement. So had somebody just and then of course you know COVID and whatnot, and he wasn't really able to get in and out of doctors, and and he's he's 82, he's old school. He's like a Zoom appointment, what? And so he just didn't go. Yeah. You know he didn't know how to do those video appointments and things, and so you know there was there was a lack of follow up on both parts. Let me just say that. But now we're in a place where it's like it's not good. And to me, I just, I I just wish maybe somebody had said, Hey, you know what? You got a little something, something we want to watch. Maybe you want to start revamping your diet. Maybe you want to like take the sugar out of your diet. You want to, you know, maybe make sure you're exercising a little more, keep your stress levels really low. I mean, what the heck can it hurt to tell somebody those kinds of things? You know, that
0: I like, and I want to, I want to respond in two parts. And the first part is, When I was getting chemo and radiation on my colon, on my rectum, my large intestine, I was Mm -hmm. so bloated and so miserable that I wouldn't eat. And my wife is like, you have to eat. And I finally was like, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. Then I'm finally like, look, if I tell you what what I want, you're not going to get it for me. And she's practically crying. She's like, I will get you anything. I'm like, I want chicken wings and I want waffle fries with cheese on them she came nice. back with enough to feed an army and because awesome. we don't eat like that and we're not together anymore but no. we still don't eat like that but i'm saying like you know right. when a person isn't eating because nothing tastes good i'm like if they will eat junk food give it to them because at least they're getting something
1: absolutely How, bert i 100 yeah, agree right, with okay, you on great 100 and because when i was going through chemo potatoes were my comfort food yeah, even though I was trying to stay away from them pre-treatment because I was trying to be very healthy. When it came, when, when, when push came to shove, it was like, get food in my face. Just get food into my face. So I ate what sounded good, comfort food.
0: I thought we were vibing here, but potatoes as comfort food, you've lost me.
1: <laughs> Wait, what? Dude, you just said waffle fries. I mean, that's a potato, am I right?
0: Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm talking like I'm talking like mashed potatoes. I'm talking Yum, like French course, fries. Yes, yes. I mean, it all counts, right? It all. No, when counts. I was a, when I was a
0: kid, I was just like potatoes, yuck. And when I did that Gerson therapy, I had to eat a potato with lunch and with dinner. <laughs> and like I was like, this is poison. This is the most horrible thing in the world. But um, anyway, my silliness aside, the second thing I want to say is I love that you said that. That, and I want to expand on it. When they say mm-hmm. you've got something interesting here. Let's keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. A great recommendation with that would be, okay, and let's talk about your diet. And I've noticed in my life that when I'm not eating well, it's because I'm stressed or I'm anxious or I'm dealing with something. And it's like, okay, so are you seeing a therapist? Now, therapy is still like frowned upon in this country. It's like, you know, can you imagine the president of the United States going to a therapist? people like would the want stigmas. them people would want them uh, impeached immediately but it's like why not what if the president and his wife or the president and her husband want to talk about their relationship and the stress that being president puts on their relationship but nobody wants to talk about it i'm like change your diet go to a therapist you know tell my therapist like look like, i'm having such a hard time not eating these foods and for myself personally yeah i will say that i notice that when i'm eating comfort foods it's because I don't want to deal with something. And there are times I will allow those comfort foods, but I will still be mindful of the thoughts in my mind. And what's so confronting? You know, what can I do? You know, I meditate every day, you know? So I'm like, when I feel that, that need to fill that hole within with a comfort food, because every one of us has a hole within that we want to fill. Every one of us has an emptiness. And yeah. we want to fill that with comfort food. And so I will sit quietly every morning. And when that emptiness is so big and it's like a black hole in me, then I will just lean into it and get really engaged with it. Like, what is happening? What am I avoiding? What do I not want to be with? You know, so, like, it's not just, you know, yes, have a healthy diet. You know, look at your diet. Look, you know, are you exercising? You know, and what's, what's it bringing up for you? It's just There's there's so many layers to it. And our oh, yeah. medical world tends to not look at things that way. It's right. It's not even a conversation. It,
1: right. No, it's like you said, that there is a huge stigma still around, you know, mental health. And, I, 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 okay, I guess the gloves are just coming off and I'm just going to just say stuff. It's just stupid to me that there is such a stigma because... Seriously, like, would you just will your heart to get better? Would you just be like, toughen up, heart, get a grip? Um, You know what I mean? So if your brain needs some help, why wouldn't you think of it like you would think of any other organ and go get it the help that it needs?
0: Right. When I was a kid, (laughs) I was, uh, I experienced something very traumatic and I didn't respond the way I wished I could have. And so, working with my therapist a few years ago, what I realized is that whenever I respond similarly, whenever I freeze, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, whenever I freeze in response to a situation, I beat myself up. I hate myself so bad. Mm. And Mm. he got me to look back, got me to notice that when I was a kid, I froze. And I'm judging and just thrashing that little kid because he didn't have the bandwidth to deal with the traumatic situation that happened to him. Like, yeah. that's yeah. what therapy provided me. It got me to see that how I'm operating right now is based on a decision that I made when I was six years old. I'm not, that was, that wasn't an adult, you know, like, and, and, Go, we are kindred spirits. <laughs> going to therapy is so you can actually start to. Just
1: figure out where those patterns came from,
0: where the patterns came from. And like more times than not, what I am doing is I'm having more and more compassion for myself. And the more I soften to myself, yes. the more I soften to the world.
1: Yes.
0: So like to, yes. to not want therapy, why would I not want therapy? Maybe because I'm insecure and I'm afraid people will judge me if I go. Yeah, but then I came up. You know, I've always been pro therapy in my life, and uh, I mean, if
1: I would say I I was from my young adult age on. So the first time I went to therapy was for an abusive relationship that I had just gotten out of, and then probably the second time I went to therapy was um, was when I became a mom, and I realized I, I was super humbled by motherhood. Be, by the way. I mean, just really like, and, and it, it caused me to want to heal my own father daughter relationship so that I made sure that I didn't even inadvertently pass on any of that baggage to my kids. Like I've, I've said repeatedly that they are the little sponges for whatever we're spilling, good or bad. So what are you spilling? you know, and so I was very conscious of that from a young age and, or, you know, from, from very early on in my, my motherhood journey. And, um, you know, I just, I, I just think therapy is a good thing, you know, even, even with this cancer thing. So, um, I, I even came to a new level of just therapy, I guess. because gosh while i could be a really good mom and i could have all this grace in the world for for everyone else especially the people i love i wasn't giving that to myself mm-hmm. so i realized that i had more work to do yeah. you know like i i healed my my relationship with my dad and you know it kind of started with therapy and it 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 um resulted in this letter that I wrote to him that I never gave him it was for me not him and it was this like letter of forgiveness if you will so I got to talk about all the things that made me mad but then I got to let them go in the letter right and then I I felt like okay it's going to be this hallelujah choir moment and it's all just going to be gone and it's just going to disappear and that was not the case but what started happening is from that moment on when I would talk to my dad I would see him more as the younger version of himself that maybe was not taught how to be the kind of father that I needed. And it gave me grace for the young boy and the teenager and the, you know, and by the time my dad passed away, he was completely reconciled to his two daughters. He had a good working relationship with my mother and, you know, he left when I was five years old, you know? So I, I I just, it it was cool. He had like almost 30 years of sobriety under his belt. When he passed, he was giving back to the community that helped him get sober and was changing young men's lives. And it was just a cool thing, you know? So, um, but again, from, from a very young age, I, like you said, you lack the life experience to reason through things that happen to you. So you can tell a kid a hundred times that the divorce isn't their fault, but somehow that little five-year-old me Thought if I were good enough, if I were whatever enough, he wouldn't have left. And the seed of perfectionism was born then and there. So I was this overachieving student. I, you know, became this incredibly boundaryless people pleaser. Mm. I became the fixer. I was codependent to the nth degree. It was, it, you know, there was a lot of crap to overcome. You know, but again, when when any of that stuff broke down, when I wasn't getting the performance-driven affection I was seeking, when you know I couldn't keep things exactly perfect, exactly the way I want, I would lose it. I would get so angry. And that was my my default emotion. Anger was my default setting for sure. And you know, that's like when all of this was said, like I've been a writer my whole life, that's how I process. I I I mean, I even wrote scripts for my friends and I to act out when I was in like the fourth and fifth grade, Mm. like truly born to be a writer, I feel in my heart, but, and it was always a dream to, you know, be a published author, but having a family was also a dream and that one kind of had an expiration date. So I kind of always envisioned this second act of mine being this, you know, empty nester writer person. And I would even, you know, pray for that. I would manifest that. I would journal that. I would, you know, I even would start calling myself a writer to my close friends and 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 share my dreams with them about when my kids are grown and whatnot. Um, I, I jokingly say be careful what you wish for because after a lifetime of writing and never being published, I went from blank page to published in five and a half months with a book called Chemo Pissed Me Off. Wow. So so it took the cancer diagnosis to light the fire under my butt to achieve the dream that I'd had my whole life. So I say to people be careful what you wish for. You know, like like going, I mean, I'm grateful. I'm absolutely grateful for this realized dream of mine and like I told you before, the the perspective from this side of cancer is really nice. It allows me yeah. to put things in a little bit better of a perspective, but going forward I might I might for a different vehicle to achieve my dreams. <laughs> First, let me I mean, say
0: I applaud you for healing your relationship with yourself and thus your father. And it sounds like your mom you. as well. I mean, that's it's, it's difficult work. Uh,
1: yeah, like I, I said this thing one time I said, I had to forgive them for not teaching me what they didn't know.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. And like yeah. you said, your dad was also a little boy. He was also someone's baby and someone's little boy. And his parents had their messed up things that they did, had their incomplete areas of their life that they hadn't sorted out and vomited it onto him. He became who he became, tried to find his way through, be a father, do the best he can. Uh, You know, and again, I just speak for me. I can't speak for someone else's situation at home. But for me, you know, my childhood was, uh, was very, very difficult. I did not live in a home that I felt safe in. And uh, mm-hmm. I blamed my parents for a long time. And then I recognized, oh, there's a distinction between blame and, how would I say, being accountable, taking responsibility. Yes. Like... I can blame them or I can acknowledge that, you know, it was their responsibility and they didn't. They, you know, th- there were mistakes that they made. And sure. there were rough, there were very difficult mistakes they made in parenting that, you know. Uh, let me think of how I want to say this. When I stop blaming them, And started recognizing that they were doing the best they could. And Carol, the best they could was shit. Yeah. But you want to know what? That's the best they could. And I could blame them or I can just recognize that they were also someone's baby. They were also someone's kid. And that was the path that got me to forgive and to recognize they're doing the best they can. I know my folks love me. My dad's passed now. I have step parents as well. I know they love me and they were not equipped to do the job well. I mean, there's, there's many things that, you know, my, my parents did that are great. But in the areas where they didn't, it was, it it was so important for me to put down the blame, to recognize it mm -hmm. is what it is and they love me. And if they could undo it, they would just like me when I, uh, you know, w- w- I have a now a 14-year-old and a 22-year-old stepson. And, like, you know, I have apologized to both of them for the ways that I've behaved, for the things that I've said, for the responses, you know, when I you know, didn't do it the way I wanted to, you know. Um, it's yeah. it's easy to blame. It's, you know, it's hard to forgive. But, my gosh, when I found forgiveness, like when I f- forgave my son's mom, Oh my goodness! And I recognized I, I suddenly had space to really get into her world and imagine what it was like for her you know
1: yeah. when she ended her marriage
0: yeah. you know and uh, yeah. it's and it totally makes sense to me now you know and so huge yeah. so
1: huge that's just I, I so I love hearing that because it hits so close to home I love hearing that two parents came back together for the sake of their children in some type of relationship, even if it's not in a marriage, it's um, it, it, I'd not live this horrible childhood existence. I knew that I was loved. I just, I believe that the family is set up the way that it's set up, that, that you, you need that, that nurturer parent and you need that kind of provider protector parent and that there's that yin and yang thing that happens in a family dynamic that just makes it all work and so when there are, are parts of that 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 don't happen it it kind of messes up the uh the flow <laughs> for lack of a better word let's just overly simplify because we could go down that rabbit hole but you know like it, it was it was one of those things where like even growing up as a child, I I had guilt if I ever blamed or got mad at my mom mm. because at least at least she was there.
0: Oh, you know? but, okay, right. I mean, right. I don't
1: even know. So 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 you've got so you've got the abandonment from the dad, and you've got the little girl looking for love in all the wrong places, and you can imagine how that played out.
0: Mm-hmm. To to its to its end i'm going to be so wonderful to the guy i'm dating and every issue he has i'm going to support him and healing from it and getting through it so then i will be viewed as an amazing person and then
1: well i walked
0: no you i'm speaking for you i should shut up you should speak no yeah
1: but i basically walked i walked myself into unknowingly um a pretty pretty abusive relationship when i was 17 years Mm. old that that took me about four years to completely extricate myself from. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a girl who always has words. And when I finally walked away from that relationship, I stuttered a little bit. I didn't even know who I was. Yeah. Anymore. It was, it was, it was bad. So, um, but I started, you know, that, that was the first step of getting myself back together. But, but you can imagine that so I had the abandonment syndrome. I had the whole guilt thing. If I ever got mad at my mom, don't get mad at mom. She's, you know, a superhero because at least she's here and she's doing it all on her own. And, you know, I'm, I already said that I'm, you know, I'm 51. So, you know, a kid growing up in the seventies, things were just a lot different back then. I kind of, this is my own take on it, but that whole next level parenting thing didn't really happen like it does now. We, you know, if kids were fed, if they were clothed, if there was a roof over their head, (laughs) you know they were good that whole emotional support thing let's talk about our feelings thing that did not happen well that was my
0: you know? upbringing which is you know which was one of the great things about my childhood but for but I grew up realizing that I'm the odd one I was the guy talking to his girlfriend about his feelings and she was you know and she wasn't Right. I was a rare She's bird. like, I don't
1: know what you're talking about. We don't talk about that in our
0: house. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, my, I mean, my family, my childhood was very difficult, but there were also great things about it. Um, but yeah, you talk about your relationship with your mom. So like, yeah, you, you're feeling guilty because you don't want to get upset with your mom because at least she's stuck around. Like, I mean, and then you're an adult and you're like, wait a second, that's the bar? The bar exactly. is like, don't leave. As long as you don't leave, like you're not, I can't judge you. And then, my goodness, everything that you have to hold inside because you, your mom gets to pass on everything because she simply didn't leave.
1: And let's back that tape up just one, like just, just mm-hmm. one, one little bit that at, at least she's here because, because remember, dad left because I wasn't good enough. Yes. So this woman's sticking around for someone who doesn't even deserve love. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to her, you know. So, but that's that's my point. These lifelong mindsets that play in the background of our lives all the time in my opinion are just manifesting illness and disease. I mean, that shit had to come out somewhere. Somehow, some way. You know, some people maybe it's autoimmune diseases, some people, you know, it's sometimes it's alcoholism or drug abuse or, you know, uh, obesity or whatever the case, you know, um, like basically an addiction. Or for people like me, it happened to be illness and disease, you know? I mean hysterectomy from endometriosis, um, uh cholecystectomy from eating so much pain medication that I tore my stomach apart mm. and it caused gallstones and yeah, and so and then
0: those are pain. And
1: then a couple of years later, breast cancer. I mean
0: Well, And yet you say that it brought you to where you want to be and you wrote your book. I mean, I will tell you that cancer, I'm so grateful that I got cancer. And then it's like cancer woke me up. It's like cancer had me realize, okay, if I'm going to die, then I'm going to spend my remaining years being me because i've been pretending to be someone else i've been hiding parts of myself for all i know i'm not hiding it from anybody but i got myself convinced that i am and then the second time i got diagnosed it was like how i took it on was the universe god however you want to put it looked at me and was like okay you just you're just not listening huh i'm gonna smack the shit out of you and get you rolling and that's when my spiritual journey really began i think you know that's where i really began the hero's journey you know And uh, consciously, you know, stepping into it. And um, so I think I've been, like, no longer invited to speak at some local uh, cancer, uh, what is it? You know, it's like Survivor, where we show up, we sit on panels. I think I'm not invited anymore because at the first one I went to, I was like, yeah, I'm so glad I got cancer. I know I can piss some people off. And I think that some people got pretty pissed off.
1: Because you said you were glad you got cancer. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I grant, I mean, I'm making this sucks. up. I don't
0: know if it's why they didn't invite me, but they never invited me back. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> I just, I mean, I could probably piss off a ton of people right now, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan of most organized cancer programs. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. I, I feel like they have, they have gone the sway of the mighty dollar and that it's, it's, I commend a lot of them that I, be- I believe they started out with the altruistic intentions and it just kind of morphed into something that it wasn't. And again, we'll just, we could leave it alone because it, it does get into a little bit of a political area, but, um, you know, I don't support the pink ribbon at all. I, I just, I, I think that that's one of those things that started out as a really, um, a really good idea. And now I just don't see the type of results that I would like to see in um, cancer awareness and um, and healing cancer, I just I, I, the statistics are one in two people will get cancer at some point in their life.
0: Down to one in two now.
1: One in two is truly what I read. I, I promise you. I don't. I can't quote the website or the, the place I found it. But I, I do look these statistics up. It's still mm-hmm. one in eight. Sometimes it's one in seven with breast cancer. But um one in two is not winning the war on cancer. It's just not. And it's just not okay. And it's it's why I it's why I titled my book the way I did, because I yeah. I mean, I can get so mad that I could break down on you right here and right now. Like mm-hmm. I I mean, I feel very strongly that we We know more than we say, and we can do better than we do. And it takes people like you, people like me, who are willing to do the deep dives and find some kind of answers for ourselves because we didn't go to medical school. And then you've got the people who do go to medical school, and they aren't doing it. And I'm just going to calm down a little bit because, you know, stress isn't good for for people like
0: (laughs) us. I get what you're saying. And this, I'm just, you know, it's popped up in Google with... uh, TrueGenX.com. I have no idea what this website is, and I'm not vouching for them because I've never heard of them in my entire life. And they say one in two women will get cancer and one in three men will get cancer. And this is in the United States. Yeah. There's there's clearly an issue. And uh, it's not being figured out. And if we could not steer politically into the biggest political medical thing happening right now in America, but just say... It's amazing how much money can be funneled into health and wellness. Yeah. Without even, and not not even going beyond that, just saying like, look at how much money in such a short amount of time can go into health and wellness. Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, people will say, how come that much money isn't being funneled into cancer? And they're not asking a question. They're making an accusation. I'm not making an accusation. I'm really wondering, how come we don't funnel right. that much money into cancer? Not to make someone feel bad because I don't know the answer. I want to know the answer. Right. Why are we not doing that? Okay, I
1: mean, so if I could just goodness. throw something out there in in real, just, just layman's terms. In my brain, in my non-medically trained brain, I'm saying we do things like pound vitamin C when we feel like we're getting a cold, mm-hmm. right? We go to the store. We stock up on it we take a lot of it throughout the day they have a a non-traditional treatment of vitamin c injections that they do use to treat cancer sometimes and um we we've seen and read that there are fantastic results with it to me in my brain i'm like okay that makes sense you couldn't physically orally take enough vitamin c to combat something like cancer So they're putting it straight into the system and it's knocking out cancer. That makes total sense to me. What also makes sense to me is that one session of chemo infusion gets billed for me personally at like 30 grand and ascorbic acid, AKA vitamin C is pennies. We don't have to delve much deeper than that, but there are simple things like that. There, and it's not even, I'm not talking about, you know, going to third world countries and doing crazy things. I mean, knowing that cancer feeds on sugar, there are like insulin therapies that can do things like drop your blood sugar and make, make cancer cells feel like they're starving because they can't mm. get sugar. And it, it weakens the outer shell of a cancer cell and allows a doctor to use way less chemo to kill the cancer cells, therefore being way less toxic for the patient. We know these things exist, but we don't use them.
0: So it sounds like what you're saying is you're not saying replace chemo with vitamin C. You're saying, why can't you do both? Why can't you give people large doses of IV vitamin C? Like what's the downside to that? Right. I have...
1: You do it You do it outside of infusion because I do understand that they say if you're doing vitamin C in conjunction with chemo that it can disrupt what chemo's doing. Okay. So yeah. there's got to be a way to cycle that to make that okay. Right,
0: and you wouldn't know, it be great I, if the I, research was done so they could determine how to do an intravenous vitamin C if there is research showing that it's effective, how can they incorporate it into the treatment without compromising your well-being? Absolutely. And do it, yeah, 100%, 100%. And it does make you wonder, you know, with the... You know I always held medic the medical world such that you know they would not let money and politics interfere with our lives and saving lives. Then you find out that they that they do you find out that they yeah. do that they do and that's just that's just what's so. And doesn't that doesn't mean that our doctors that we are seeing and these incredible nurses that are working with us all through our treatments and our infusions and all the recovery, it's not saying any of them are influenced at all by politics and money. but there is politics and money in the situation and
1: Well, they have bills to pay just like everybody else. And so yeah, but I'm saying
0: these people, you know, they show up to work and they give us incredible care. They're not yeah, they're not making no, decisions no. based on politics and money, other than getting the job to have the money. But I mean, like, you know, it's it's not influencing them. And uh It is but it is in the system, and it is heartbreaking, and it can be really infuriating. But if you don't mind, what I do want to ask you, uh, before I ask you about your book, because I love the title of your book. um, (laughs) Thanks. You said that the second time there was scar tissue that was left, they thought it was scar tissue, and it was actually Mm -hmm. some cancer cells they left behind.
1: Yeah, so it was actually breast tissue. So, I mean, most people, most people in the cancer world anyway know that that the idea of a mastectomy is getting all of the breast tissue out of your body. And for the most part they do they they, they do say there are some remnants of breast tissue left behind. Um in this case there there was no removal done in my axilla underarm area. So um this I, again, I live in a rural area. My general surgeon was, was um, a doctor up, up here where I live. And he is, he is a really, really cool doctor. He is um, humble. He referred to himself one time as a simple country doctor when he was talking about where I might go to get things done. And I said, well, I I know you. I trust you. I want you to work on me. He says, yeah, but I'm a simple country doctor. (laughs) The hospitals that I have access to don't even have all the bells and whistles that all these hospitals in the big city have. And so that was very cool of him to say that. Indeed, I stuck with him. And then when it came back eight years later and I went to see him, he even said in his 30 some odd years of of practicing that he had not seen a patient with breast tissue in their axilla under arm area for anyone who needs to know that? Hmm. Um, which arguably makes sense. At 2 to 6%, maybe he hadn't. Okay, so. But when I went to the bigger hospital in, in the Bay Area, the teaching hospital that I ended up getting chemo at, that oncologist told me that her breast cancer surgeons regularly check and remove breast tissue from the axilla oh. because they know it can come back as cancer. Hmm. That was tough for me. That was really—I mean, talk about needing to put the blame game away. I mean, I had to—I had to figure out who I was and what I was gonna, what I was gonna manifest and yeah, what I was gonna yeah. dwell on and all of that. I so, chose what to, tapes I was gonna play in my brain. Sure,
0: I chose to not go to Memorial Sloan Kettering for my surgery the first time because the doctor was trying to rush my wife and me. And our four month old baby out of his office, it was Friday and he wanted to go have dinner with his wife because one of his staff had told us and he kept like hurrying. He was like, you know, well, I don't want to waste any more of your time. You're we like, you're not. Cause we were asking the same questions over and over. Cause we were still deer in the headlights. Like what? Sure. Cancer? Yeah. And, uh, I went with a general surgeon in a big hospital in Sarah, Pennsylvania. And, uh, he's great. He's fantastic. However, following the surgery, I got, what's this called? Peyronie's disease, where when my penis is erect, it is bent. And as I was recovering from the surgery, it was bent when it was erect, and then for a few months, and then for a couple months after that, it was straight again, and then eventually it was bent. And he didn't know why. I've since gone to a pelvic floor physical therapist, and through the conversations I've had with her, Cause I was re- actually, I did go to the urologist I mentioned earlier and she re- after mm-hmm. did after giving me a, uh, um, what is that terrible test called? The, uh, um, cystoscopy where they put a,
1: I got the wrong parts they, yeah, to know they, about. Well, it, well <laughs> if men and women, you get a
0: tube up your urinary tract into your bladder. Oh, it's okay. One yeah, of I the ha- most can... God awful experiences I've ever had in my life. But if you need it, go I do it because that
1: that's super painful.
0: And so. <laughs> She referred me to a physical therapist. And after a lot of talk, what was determined is she was wondering if when the doctor, because they had to open me up from the sternum down to my pelvic bone, and then roll me over and remove the anus and the rectum. And so she's like, you know, Peroni's disease is a result of scar tissue, uh, uh, of a calcification in the penis, which causes it to not straighten out, because if you have something that's, you know, I'm trying to be technical here. If it goes from flaccid to erect, there's a calcification on one side, and so that part doesn't stretch, which causes the bend. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how could that calcification happen after the surgery? And she's like, I wonder if when he rolled you over, he laid you on your penis, and it caused this issue. And if you were laying there for like a couple hours while I was doing the surgery, if they didn't realize that that's a, that could have been the cause of the problem. Now, here's the thing. If I had gone to Memorial Sloan Kettering, I could have had a doctor that does colorectal resections all day, every day. That's all he does. Now, I but I went to the surgeon who had a wonderful bedside manner, he was kind and compassionate. Like when I went to the hospital later with an issue that resulted, I had a pulmonary embolism, which, I, which arose from the chemotherapy. Like 60% of my left lung was like not getting oxygen. was cut off. And uh, he showed up in my room. He's like, why are you here? Like he's such a great guy and he cared so much compared to the guy at Memorial okay. Sloan Kettering, whose name I won't mention because I have a friend who since went to him and he was wonderful. Probably because yeah. my wife wrote a scathing letter to them Good. and said he was atrocious uh hopefully that's he changed his mind but my point is yeah i did not i also didn't pick the oncology oncolog, oncological surgeon to do my surgery and it may i mean i don't know having pronies is not the worst thing in the world
1: i mean should have could have would is i mean we can't right really but i'm saying it, like right? what
0: i'm saying is i can empathize with you i made the choice i made and yeah. I had to be like you want to know what Here's something that happened with me, Carol. Like when I first time I got diagnosed, I realized I had to make a decision about treatment. And it was like a tornado was spinning in my brain. For most people, you have one thought and the tornado keeps spinning and it rips that thought out and replaces it with another over and over and over. And you can't hang on to any thoughts. You're so scared. And when I finally made my decision, it, it struck me. I'm like, okay. I was in a maze wondering what decision to make. And then I was in a maze wondering if I made the right decision. And there came a point where I'm like, dude, you're in a labyrinth. You made a decision, and the only thing there is to do now is to go forward. <laughs> it will get you where it gets you. You cannot focus on what you wish you m- might have done. That's irrelevant. It provides nothing. You know, Again, right. if, if your thinking empowers you and lifts you up and, 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 you know, wonderful, but if it just knocks you down shake it off get rid of it there's no point in it right. so i get it like yeah you, you 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 made the choice you made you went to the doctor and he missed he did not look in the axillary is that what you said axillary
1: um yeah so <laughs> the axillary it's it's actually that's correct axillary tail is basically the bottom part of your underarm and so it's literally if you were to turn the corner from where your breast meets the very bottom of your armpit, that's your axillary tail. They call it. Okay. Um, your ax your axilla is basically your underarm. And so, like when you get the lymph nodes removed there, they call it an axillary dissection. So. Um, All right. When they go into okay. your.
0: So you went back. You know. To re- did he discover it?
1: He did. He actually. Did he um, remove it? He's the. He did. He's the one that did the second surgery. Yeah. Because again, you know, I, he, I trusted this guy, you -hmm. know, he's, again, as I said, he, he's a really humble guy. He is straightforward. Um, His office is ridiculously kind and efficient. It's just something I, I never found in the bigger cities where I live. And I, I just was a little maybe nervous, trusting the bigger towns around me because Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're kind of crappy, you know, and I do have some stories about some of the crappy experiences that I had in those offices. And, um, I just, I didn't want to go to them. So I stuck with him, but then when it came to chemo and radiation, I, 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 I tried to see, um, people in those surrounding cities and I was disenchanted to say the very least. I actually pulled a pulled a like one of your wife things and I wrote a scathing letter about my experience with this one doctor. And, um, so that's what prompted me to go further out three hours away to the teaching hospital in the San Francisco Bay area. And that's where I did chemo. And then in the teaching, then I went to radiation at the Sacramento teaching hospital here in Northern California. All right, and was this so those before
0: surgery or after pre or post
1: after after my surgery was first and it actually got rid of everything but the pathology of the tumor came back as high grade and um, high percentage for recurrence so that's where they suggested the chemo and radiation
0: All right, so you had chemo and radiation how much of each
1: 4 rounds of chemo 25 rounds of radiation
0: Mm, yeah I think I had 27 or 8 ain't that something that radiation is like
1: Yeah. I just, I can't even, I I can tell you that um, radiation was was seriously humbling, yeah. you know? And, and again, mine was only on my chest. So people having to get radiated on their nether regions, that's a on whole... On my rectum? Right. Yeah. On a whole nother level. Like I was in there, because <laughs> because once you're scheduled, you kind of start seeing the same people every day. And there was a woman in there who had inoperable cervical cancer. And so she was having her lady parts radiated. And so I just, I mean, I make a joke of it in the book about how I i found radiation truly mortifying and humbling, um, having to bare my chest to a room full of strangers every single day. And that it was quite ironic considering that I spent most of my 20s thinking everyone needed to see my ass in a bomb bikini. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, When I want it, not when
0: you want it. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. I was wondering as you were speaking, I'm like, wait a second. The radiation caused boils on my testicle the size of my thumbnail. You get four and five whiteheads on each one. For all I know, the radiation may have caused the pronies. I wonder.
1: Yeah, because it caused lymphedema for me. It caused um, like just a lot of um, loss of movement and um, just tightness in the armpit, loss of range of motion with that arm that I'm slowly working out. But the swelling in in this upper chest wall has not gone away. And they that's a direct result of the radiation and me having an implant. So no. um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm still working on how to figure that out meanwhile. This this I I'm, I have a big bump above my my boob my fake boob <laughs> it's very
0: strange. You have a big bump of edema of lymphedema.
1: Yeah, yeah, just f- fluid swelling, you know. So and it's um, you know there's there's ways to stimulate your lymph system, but when when they radiate your your lymph nodes, they essentially kill them, and it doesn't allow the fluid to get through mm. there. Mm. So that's where it's kind of it's it's like a traffic jam right there in my like armpit area. And then they radiated down the center of my chest. So that lymph system is shut down. So everything stagnates right there on my chest and it can't go right Mm. left. And I'm trying to get it to go down to where the groin lymph system is, but there's, it's, it's a very involved thing, but believe me, I've done my deep dives. There's a I, I want to say they call it a watershed i can't remember but that's the word i remember because basically I was envisioning there's a stream that it can't get across when they explained it to me so forgive me if that's the incorrect information but basically it's it's in your abdomen area so you have your lower area and you have your upper area and for me to try to get that fluid to bypass that middle area and get down low is not necessarily it's not where it wants to go let's just say that it's not the flow it's yeah. not the direction it's it's So it's a lot of this lymph mas- self-lymph massage that I do, trying to get the fluid to go to the right spaces. And can you go can to that? a uh,
0: lymphedema massage therapist?
1: Yes, but Western medicine insurance companies say that 12 times with an occupational therapist is what I'm allowed. So that's, that's enough to fix me. I, I love that insurance companies dictate our care that we get. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I know we can go get whatever care we want, but most of us cannot afford right. to go get whatever care we want. So we are allowing the insurance companies to tell us what we're going to get. And then we go do that. So, and they're not doctors. So that's just another little avenue. I don't know if that crosses the, the
0: politics no, boundary, it's, but it's, it's, holy it's, it's cow. financially driven. And yeah. I've gone to physical therapists and had them tell me this dance that happens, you know, with, with you know, or, or not for just physical therapists, like doctor's offices, just for certain treatments, like they have to do this dance. Well, we, we want to do this many appointments. And then uh, the, the insurance company's, you know, medical practitioner person will reply and go, well, we don't think 12 is necessary. We think eight. And like, why do you think eight? Because eight's cheaper. <laughs> like, you know, or we have, st- <laughs> we have statistics that tell us that eight should be sufficient. I'm like, I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe it, Carol. I don't yeah. believe that when something is, when generating income from people is what the insurance company is doing. I just cannot, I, I can't, I can't think of the word right now, but I, I can't put those two together. And, and they, they, don't, they, don't, yeah. they don't make sense together.
1: Right, you can't reconcile that in your brain. Re- thank like- you, that's
0: what I was looking for. I cannot reconcile that in my brain. If you're making money off this decision, how can i think that's in my best interest i like, i don't and i know folks who work in insurance and they're like bert oh god like don't ever work in insurance <laughs> the decisions we have to make my friend was like the decisions i have to make yeah so I,
1: way back uh, when 10 years ago who they're going to who they're going to um, decline
0: who they're going to deny we got to get more denials they, we're getting too many uh you know too much coverage too much money going out the
1: um so, so 10 years ago, this is just a small example of what you're talking about. 10 years ago, this general surgeon, like I told you, he's, he's just a good guy, right? He, he wanted to do a biopsy on the tumor that he felt. And then he said, you know what? It would be way less invasive, less painful for you, and more definitive for me if you get an MRI. Let's do that instead of a biopsy. I'm like, 100%, sign me up. Insurance denied the MRI. So then we had to go back to the biopsy. And meanwhile, we're just delaying all of this. So, you know, because MRIs are so expensive and so they declined that. But, you know, meanwhile, this person's waiting in limbo, wondering what the heck is wrong with them. And um, so he went ahead and did the biopsy. The biopsy came back, DCIS, the stage 0 precancer thing. And then when we discovered it was completely widespread to the point where it wasn't unheard of for me to want a mastectomy and for him to green light it. Insurance goes, oh okay, you can have the MRI now. Now that we know. <laughs>
0: like, for those of you who cannot just, see me, I'm shaking my head and closing my eyes just like, <laughs> oh my
1: goodness. And then he had to rush it, you know, and and get it and because he he's not a guy, this is the other cool thing about him. He is not one to sit on this. When he knew what he was gonna do, he made it happened as quickly as possible because I, I can't speak for him, but I'm, I'm assuming it's because of the way he rolls and he is super compassionate. His whole office is super compassionate and he probably doesn't want the patient sitting around stressing about it. Let's just get it done. The second time around eight years later, he was going on vacation and he, he got me in for surgery within days. And made everybody he worked with, including the hospital, jump through hoops to make that happen. It was incredible Beautiful. what he did. Beautiful. So that's one of the reasons I I can't get super pissed, you know, about the whole breast tissue left in the axle. Because I'm telling you, he's a good guy. He's not a negligent, God-complex, asshole doctor. You know, it's just one of those things.
0: It felt right to you. Yeah. And that's the way you went. And... All there is to do is go forward, and you and you and you stuck with him because you know, he had, uh, you know, he was willing to say to you, "Yeah, I didn't know to look in the axillary tail, didn't know to check there," yeah. like yeah. that kind of honesty is. Is is priceless. I mean, it's like you know.
1: Right. I mean, I don't know that he said it quite that black and white because he could probably you know open himself up for a lawsuit. In in some worlds, I mean, I don't roll that way. But I mean, in the, he the in the world we in the yeah. world we live in, I mean, so I think how he said it was. Yeah, I've never seen a case like yours in my however many years I've been practicing, which is thirty or more, I think. I I can't quote exactly, but so he said it like that which allowed me to understand that it it wasn't intentional it was something he just didn't know to look for at least that's how I took it so
0: so we've really delved into the radiation and so the chemo apparently the chemo pissed you off yeah as you said you have a book (laughs) called chemo pissed me off that's the title (laughs) of your book is there a subtitle (laughs) as well there isn't is there there, there is.
1: is, there is. So so just to let people know that it's not a complete rant fest, I wanted people <laughs> to understand the entirety of it. But yes, it it started out, I was pissed. And then, so the subtitle is, A Breast Cancer Roadmap, Navigating with Faith, Gratitude, and a Little Bit of Attitude. So, which is exactly, it's it just tells my whole story, essentially, because I relied a lot on my faith. Through it all, I discovered gratitude in all things. I mean, we, I, I'm a woman of faith, so I, I've, I've read the scripture. Okay, so, you know, there's another one that's like, um, rejoice in all things. I'm like, okay, but wait, hold up. Really, all things? So, truly, all things. And the little bit of attitude is is a bit of the uphill grind I find myself in, digging for answers and being that squeaky wheel and making them I wanted to say do the right thing but I making them help me
0: <laughs> self advocacy an attitude of self advocacy yes. absolutely absolutely and I'm with you in the rejoicing all things I keep a, a little buddha right on the dashboard of my car and the reason it sits there is to remind me that the quickest and most efficient path to enlightenment is whatever's happening to me right now and yes. and that brings me to gratitude for this life and people say, "What about this and what about that? You can you know i don't have you know I don't speak for other people, I don't have answers for other people's life. All I know is yeah. that that is just true for me, and it can be really trying at times, and it can be you know a heck yeah. of a test
1: no, i mean Talking about you, you asked me about chemo. I mean, there were those days, and I'd be laying there, um, you know, lying, lying around like like a like death warmed over. And I'm
0: not sure. Thank you so much for tuning in. I truly hope this podcast was of value to you. Please subscribe and let your friends and family know they can find But Seriously the Cancer Podcast anywhere podcasts are made available. To learn more about my cancer survivorship coaching please go to BurtScholl.com. That's bertschol com. If you'd like to support But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast, please go to our Patreon page at Patreon.com. That's patreo com forward slash But Seriously, the Cancer Podcast. And thank you so much for all you do. See you all in the next episode, and thank you so much for listening. The intro and outro music you hear is the creation of St. Kid, can find him on social media as the saint kid the purpose of this podcast is to provide a platform for individuals to discuss personal experiences with a medical diagnosis the host and guests are not medical professionals and the podcast is not intended to provide medical advice or psychological therapy whenever there is a concern about mental or physical health please consult a qualified medical professional